and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 84th episode in a weekly series called New York Comic Con. This week, I talk about my trip to New York Comic Con and the different people I had a chance to interview, some of the sites I saw, and just in general about how amazing Comic Con is. Today is Monday, October 16th, and let's get started. This is my first time to New York Comic Con, and it was just amazing. So many people, so large, and just so many things to see. Now, I'm not a comic aficionado, to say the least. I read a few comics sort of semi-regularly. Anita Blake, I used to read some of the X-Men series, but in general, not something I follow uh, tons of, so I didn't have a lot of panels that I was super excited to see and just kind of hung around with my friends who went with me and saw the things that they found interesting. I did want to see the Neverwinter Nights panel so I could get a preview of the new MMO coming out very soon, Neverwinter Nights. I played the other games in the series and enjoyed them very much, so I wanted to check that out. Uh, when I went to the panel, I got to see three of the developers for that, uh, some of the art, but a lot of the panel was just a comparison between um, Dungeons and Dragons and how similar the game is to Dungeons and Dragons, pictures of the campaign books of Dungeons and Dragons and how the art in Neverwinter is created similar to that. I did get to see one exclusive trailer which looked amazing and I really want to play the game but I found the panel really dry and uh, as much as I love Dungeons and Dragons, um, not very exciting. I did get a t-shirt out of it, though. And I also wanted to see the Blizzard panel, which I did line up for, but wow, the line stretched a million miles, and I did not end up getting into that. I did have the privilege, however, of going to the booth in the exhibition hall of Red versus Blue. And I got a chance when I was there to speak with Matt Holman, uh, he's the director, he's done Captain Dynamic, he's done Red vs. Blue, he's the voice of Sarge, Doc, Wyoming, the meta. He's a director, producer, editor, and all of these things for Red vs. Blue. And I got to speak with Kathleen. Uh, she is the voice of Tex. And they were really great. It was the first interview I had uh, of the entire con, and we got a chance to sit down it's a very loud place, and I've done the very best I can to edit out the extraneous sounds, but if you've ever been to a convention, you understand the loudness that is really there, and even though we were in a semi-private room, still lots of loudness. Also, Siri uh, felt that she would like to be a part of the interview, and so we had a couple times where Siri spoke up. Don't know why. But here we go, an interview with Rooster Teeth, Red versus Blue. Matt You've been the director for so many uh, projects like Captain Dynamic, Red vs. Blue, and you're the voice of Sarge, Doc, Wyoming, and Meta. Uh, what are the similarities and differences, aside from the obvious part of you know, visual actors, in being a director in a series like this? Such as Red vs. Blue Season 10? Yes. Um, well, you know, that's interesting. I mean, uh, it's, in some ways it's easier to find out the ways they're dissimilar than similar. When we, when we, when we started, and it was all machinima. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about machinima is that it's really very similar to live action. My background was was live action filmmaking. That's um, why I did, you know, Cat Dynamic and the shorts and all the other live action projects that we've done, you know. Okay. Uh, but um, it, machinima, um, basically, the way you 
do it normally is that you would shoot it like you would live action where you'd be actors and you would tell them their marks and you know they'd know their lines and they go out and they they do it and you rehearse it you know and then you do takes and you have the, a live camera and if it's if it doesn't work out then you just do it again it's everybody acting cohesively so that wants to do in front of you and yeah it's very, yeah it's, it's, it's basically similar. puppeteering you know but it's it's so much more akin to live action than it is to animation but then as we progressed and uh, you know we got into um, season seven eight and nine and then really this year was season ten with you know where the animation, the animation is just, seems like it's changed probably a lot yeah and there's, there's really more animation in the show than there is machinima okay. uh, at this point um, animation's a lot uh, more work on the pre-production side a lot more uh, thought out everything has to be planned and in, in detail before you do it and uh, there's still room for uh, um, you know ad-libbing and, and coming up with new ideas and, and things like that and we, we do a lot of that but um, structurally it's it's just it's vastly different than either machinima or uh, live action, which is which is kind of weird because I know I, I think you know you would tend to think of machinima and animation as being more akin to each other, but mm-hmm. machinima is really much more for us like doing live action. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, how strange is it doing all the voices, and do you guys forget which one you're doing at any given time? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it is can, can be a little. Uh, uh, funny or strange doing the voices we had one uh, table read we did in front of a big audience where uh, Bernie intentionally wrote in me doing two different characters talking to each other and uh, the audience had a great time laughing at me struggling through that you know it was pretty funny but um, you know the, uh, the best thing about doing voices that aren't your own voice uh, is that you know we go to these conventions and everything and and uh, people come to you and go no way Sarge, <laughs> or you're, you're yeah, right. you're, yeah, you're exactly. Valley, what? Exactly. You're Wyoming? No. And they send a text voice, you know? Like, they, they want to hear that, that stuff, and it's like, then when you actually do it, there's this, like, great moment of, like, oh, that's so cool. That's why know. Sarge is so good, because you can really do, I mean, you're, it's not you at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's really identifiable, which is cool. Yeah. Kathleen, I always ask, uh, and I try to have women gamers on my show when possible, and there are so few of us, so I'm going to ask the question, you know, especially Halo, any kind of first-person shooters, any games of that genre, it's very rare to find a female who really enjoys them, and especially one who has such a kick-ass character like Tex. So what, I guess, what would you say was your inspiration for that, and how do you find that in this industry? Um, inspiration for the character text, or just this is yourself being overall on the floor as Um Wow. Does it impact? I can. You well, I can tell you. you I can tell you one thing about Kathleen that um, is interesting because it's so she's so different from her character in so many ways. She's a tough chick. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to get punched. Yeah. <laughs> but Kathleen's all about like helping people and doing great right. for the community and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And of course, Tex is all about punching you in the groin. Right, right. You know, so it's an interesting dichotomy, that's really. True. That you yes, have with your no, that's really true. I think that my favorite thing is, you know, as I when I work with the fa- or talk, reach out to the fans, um, and I really like to get to know and the young ladies that are out there. It's like they need a good role model, somebody that's strong, that's that's you know, a that likes the gaming world, b that understands what it's all about, and that it's not you know you shouldn't be you should feel weird about it. It's like just go in there and have a good time, and 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 then also uh, that's also worked hard to get 
relevant, you know, to where I am in life. Like, you know, I just, when I talk to kids, I give them my experience. I never tell them what to do, but I try to inspire them by the, the things that I've had to accomplish or the challenges that I've seen to, you know, to get to where I am today. Um, and, and I'm a big kid at heart. Like, I will never grow up. So, uh, you know, and, and another thing, too, is, you know, with the gaming, I'm not very good at it, gaming, trust me. I, I'm not. But I, yeah, but I, but, you know, I enjoy playing and the, the kids that I play with are really um, understanding and, and helpful and, you know, and that's, that's kind of um, an endearing thing, you know, yeah. for me. So, yeah. And you have an appropriate outfit. No. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's funny because sometimes I'll play online and I get two kinds of uh, people. Either one, they want to just kill me because I'm Tex, like you know, and they're so happy about it. And then two, they're like, oh my god, Tex's room. Oh my god, you know, she's gonna kill us. Or so it's fear. Yeah, exactly. So it's one or the other. Yeah. Well, you're like the mythic, uh, mythical gunslinger in the old town. Right. Like whoever is, you know, the quick, the quick draw king. Yes. All the other ones want to come up and. Uh, try, try to not try yeah. to knock them off right. the post. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> so obvious. Are you excited for Halo Four and November's? You know what? Extremely excited, and this is probably because I've been so involved with um, producing season ten and being able to uh, see some insight before you know Halo Four, and just understanding now the you know where it came from ten years ago when Halo first came out to where it is now. Like, I'm really excited. And, um, you know, I have my Xbox at home. And uh, and I have a, a, a person staying with me who, she's a big gamer, and uh, Allie, Allie Baker. And um, so I'm sure she and I will be, you know, yeah, we'll be playing. I had one kid come up to me today. He goes, oh, I took the day off. I take the day off. I'm going to get my game, and I'm just going to oh, yeah. play all day. So, yeah. Seasons 9 and 10, Project Freelancer, and Season 10 are currently, Season 10 is currently in production. Are there any hints you can tell us about Sigma played by Elijah Wood? Anything you can, hints about, like, what kind of character that would be, what... Yeah. Well, um, uh, there's actually a pretty big episode for Sigma on Monday. Uh, episode 19 is coming up, so I, uh, I don't want to give away too many hints, but um, I, in the last episode, we kind of saw... Without even seeing Sigma, we saw some of his plan go into motion, okay. and we're going to see a lot more of that um, come to fruition in the next episode, so we're really excited about that. It's a very big episode. Um, it's really just action-packed and just lots of crazy stuff, stuff that Kathleen and I looked over at each other over the course of making it and thought, are we going to be able to get this done? Yeah. Yeah. This is crazy. I don't know. With me, we bit off more than we could chew, but... Um, it's a really fun episode, and uh, we're really looking forward to everybody seeing that one. And then the last three episodes after that, we'll go up to episode 22, 22 this year, and um, the last three episodes are just, they're, they're all just It's just action. Crazy, like, I wish I could be in people's homes watching their Me faces. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. just, it's so, it, they're going to be so intense, and there's so many plot things. We, have, we have the best video of Kathleen that when we made... Um, uh, episode 10 from season 8 which, oh, was, right. which was kind of a, a breakthrough episode um, and uh, uh, she'd done the voice and like kind of seen some stuff beforehand but then we finally got it got it together we were able to kind of like show it to her because it was, it was an episode that was primarily about text and text kicking ass mm -hmm. you know and uh, she had you said the best look on your face. It was and like I, tears. And I, mean. I and I always just think like, man, I wish I could like watch everybody, yeah. like all the fans, like seeing this yeah, stuff for the first time yeah, and really it's, appreciating it. So just a, it's really cool. It is. It's it's fun. I keep telling them we're gonna have a big screening just so we can have yeah. people in for that last bit of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. 
Okay, Matt. Uh, yes. Ralph McQuarrie, the Oscar-winning concept artist yeah. who just passed away recently, <clears throat> yeah. iconic in the Star Wars realm. Um, you said that he affected your life and that you felt that that was sort of a tragic event that touched you in some way. Yeah. How how did he impact you and, and why? What's the thinking behind that? Well, you know, I was like the unsung heroes of uh, of, of the movie making industry. Okay. And you look at a guy like that who like brought so much uh, like visual dynamism to science fiction and just to cinema in general. And hardly anybody knows who he is. You know, I mean, everybody knows who George Lucas is and they know all the stars of the, the Star Wars franchise and everything like that. But you look at somebody who, like, really laid the groundwork for something that's, you know, like, totally inspiring, you know, and you see the, uh, just kind of the, uh, the pastiche of, of images that he, you know, put together. Um, that, I mean, it's... Like, we're, you walk around here and you see his work oh, everywhere on the floor, everywhere. you know? Yeah. And it's just kind of cool because, like, nobody knows who that guy is. He's like, you know, or not many people know who he is. And he's just like these quiet heroes of, of uh, pop culture, really, who go about and, you know, do this amazing work. And then, and then they kind of... explain you find out who they are. Right, exactly. exactly. You know, and it's just kind of cool. Like, I, I think that, um, um, the, you know, it's... We need to celebrate those kind of people. Yeah, you know, the humble artist, the, the one that does artist, what they yeah. do because they love it, and not for the glory. Yeah. Okay. What are your personal favorite characters in the series, and why? It doesn't have to be your own. <laughs> <laughs> but it will be. But it will be. Uh, <laughs> Mine is Sarge. I've always loved Sarge because a I love the way he sounds, but he's just such a. He reminds me of like my grandfather, you know, that just that kind of would bark things out and uh, get everybody going and riled up, right? You know, and not really listen, but just say what he wanted to say. So I've always enjoyed Sarge. Uh, well, I, I have to admit, I even though he's my character, I love Sarge too, um, because he's based on real people that I knew uh, from high school, so that's always fun, you know, and you feel, like, you feel that connection, you know, like basically it's like, he's like an amalgam of my high school football coaches. <laughs> okay. You know, so. Um, Is that a good thing? Did yeah, did yeah, because I, li- yeah, I, I liked them, you know, yeah. so it's like, um, and, uh, you know, and I, and I like having that, that a lot of the voice, a lot of it came from me and my friends. It was like a dumb voice we would do in high school with each other, and I just kind of like modified it and, you know, kind of zeroed in on who Sarge was in particular over the years, but. Um, that's always fun, and then the other the character that really uh, uh, I, I always like is uh, is Vic, because a lot of people don't know that Vic is is based on uh, a friend of ours as well. Um, did he recognize the homie? Yeah, he did. After a while, like actually, we hadn't seen him in quite a long time. I, when when I first moved to LA, um, Joel, who plays Caboose, and Vic and I all lived together, and uh, Vic and I had worked on a bunch of stuff in the past and um, uh, saw him in L.A. and we actually, uh, you know, we, we told him about the character and then had him say some of the lines. Like, and it was like, it was so funny because it's like, he sounded just just like he does as the character now. So that, that's always a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I just like the, I mean, it's, it's also fun whenever like when Kathleen or uh, uh, Jeff or Bernie or, or Gus or Joel, like it, anybody has like moments in their character where they themselves come through mm-hmm. and you kind of feel that, that's always just a lot of fun. And it's like an inside joke for yeah. us, yeah. but it's just one of those things that, you know, that makes you feel happy about doing the show.
will there be an 11th season? I think so. Yes. Well, you know, our, our kind of uh, standard answer uh, to uh, are you going to do more red versus blue is if people keep watching it, if fans keep watching it, and keep wanting it, then yes, we will make more because we enjoy making it, you know. And um, and so, yeah, this is, I mean, season 10 has been our uh, biggest, like, best received season since season one. And so we don't see any reason to slow down at this point. So, yeah, we're looking forward to season 11. We obviously are tying up a lot of loose ends and um, want to make a big impression with season 10 because it's such a landmark season. Um, we've got our, you know, enormous box set coming out and all these things, you know. So we're, we, yeah, we're really, you know, packed a lot into this one. Um, but we're, yeah, we're, we're excited about season 11 too, and we like to give every season its own kind of uh, stamp and its own thing and make it, um, you know, its own, have it, have it have its own unique feeling, you know. So we're, we'll mix things up for season 11. It'll be different than seasons eight, nine, and ten were, which were all different from you know each other as well. And uh, just keep going and keep evolving. Kathleen, I wanted to. Um, what's the general atmosphere at Rooster Teeth, and would you compare it to any other company that you might know? It seems like you're all well, pretty I'm, close. I'm looking forward to this answer. <laughs> well, let's see. Before I started, uh, it, it, it was, it's a very playful atmosphere. It's like when we first started and the guys had like five, six in the office, it was really a casual type situation. But now, uh, there's you know, during production, I think we had up like 50 people. Yeah. And so there has to be structure with that. Um, I you know worked at Warner Brothers and Universal and all these really medicinal static kind of places <laughs> and I, yeah and I definitely would not want that for us because it kind of shuts the creativity down but um, it's it's a really I mean I love it it's a great place to work you just have to we we're working on structure so that everybody kind of understands you know with production you gotta you know, keep the ball rolling we you know can't always play around so. Um, but it's a it's a really creative environment. Yeah, everybody has a uh, Nerf dart guns. Yes, that's so right. Just, and we let yes, we, yes. We've just yeah. had to limit everyone to one magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. So oh, it's crazy. Oh, we have yeah. that. Oh, yeah. we have that. Yes. What's the big one we set up on the stand? Yeah, Monty oh, had yeah, that Monty one right had that with, one with the, the, the stuff coming down. Yeah, off with of the yeah. chain gun thing. But that's what makes it fun, and I think that's what kept our team going and working crunch hours for a very long time was just allowing them to have those moments of fun. Yeah. Okay, that pretty much wraps up most of my stuff. I know you have some things commercially coming out. Would you like to tell the listeners um, there's some box sets, various things, anything else you'd like to tell them about that when that comes out? Um, yeah, well, so we've got the box set. Um, there's actually two versions of the box set. There's, uh, they're both, it's a 14 disc box set. Uh, you can get either in DVD or there's a Blu-ray version. Of course, we call it Red vs. Blu-ray, but... Uh, <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> Kathleen loves my, my, my jokes. <laughs> She's always behind me with the drum kit. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, we've got those. And uh, um, we're very excited about, about uh, season 10. Uh, that comes out. It all comes out on November 6th. And um, uh, yeah, they're just going to be absolutely enormously huge. We packed everything we possibly could. 
in the production of, of season 10, the season itself, mm-hmm. and then the, the Blu-ray and the special features. Oh, yeah. Uh, behind the, the scenes, we've got the visual effect, the whole uh, yeah. behind the scenes on the visual effects, and, and actually the whole animation team for RBD 10. So interviews yeah. and, yeah. And deleted scenes, uh, you know, additional bonus features, outtakes. Outtakes, which are hilarious. Yeah. We just, I mean, we really tried to cram it completely full to the point where actually we had one disc get sent back from manufacturing they said it was had too much data on it <laughs> so we uh, we uh, we go we go all out because that's the kind of stuff we like when we go and buy you know especially just DVDs and yeah, all exactly. that stuff so we make it for ourselves I was surprised to see you guys actually working the booth and selling things and oh, you know, yeah. kind of getting hands-on into it definitely accessibility yeah. always interesting yeah. well I mean this is our you know some of our few chances where we get to actually come out and meet people and mm-hmm. interact face to face and hear what people like and what they don't like, you know, and um, you know just get real feedback and stuff. And it's you know it's it's just to give you a lot of um, you know kind of enthusiasm and, and and drive to meet people and see how much they appreciate what you're doing. It's you know there's, it's motivating. There's nothing better than having because uh, I you know writing somebody back and forth and I yeah. know their profile name right and we talk and whatever yes. and oh Facebook and yeah and then they come in person. And it's like, you know, wow, very, you know, I get as excited to meet them as they do me because it's just, you know, it's a person that I've been in contact with. So it's, I, I really enjoy it. I love it. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Our have- pleasure. Thank you. Okay. So that was Kathleen Zulich. She was also a producer on that show, as well as Matt Hullam. And uh, next I went around and ended up talking to BioWare about Mass Effect. I ran into Jessica Marison, which was really fun. We got a picture taken together and got to talk about some stuff and finally get to meet in person since she's been on this show before. So when I spoke to BioWare, I was scheduled to interview with Mac Walters. And Mac Walters is the lead writer who wrote all of the stuff for Mass Effect 1 and 2 and kind of had some creative input on 3 as well. And so he is the inspiration, I suppose you would say, for all of the lines we hear currently, uh, calibrating your gun and various other expressions that uh, have become sort of part of mainstream culture. And I did want to ask him about that. Also, I was supposed to be speaking with Kimberly Brooks, and Kimberly Brooks is the voice of Ashley Williams, one of the characters, obviously, in Mass Effect. She's also done a whole, she's the voice of Rosalind Starling in Lollipop Chainsaw. She is Linnea if I'm saying that right, in Dragon Age, and uh, Barbara Gordon, or Oracle, in Batman Arkham Asylum as well. So she's done a lot of great voices, and I was very excited to speak to both of them. Dark Horse wasn't very excellent about speaking with Bioware and coordinating some of these things, so I ended up being able to speak to Mac Walters, but only for 15 minutes. Uh, later on, the next day, Sunday, I ran into Kimberly Brooks and fangirled all over her. And when I did, I told her about the missed interview, and she said that she would be on the gray area. So hopefully in the next few weeks, you will get a whole interview with Kimberly Brooks, which will make me very, very happy. So we will get to talk to her eventually. But Mac was excellent, and it was really great to be able to stand there and just have some you know, really close face-to-face contact and get his thoughts on some of the Mass Effect uh game as well as the new Mass Effect comic series, Mass Effect Redemption. And I focused mainly on the Mass Effect Redemption, which is one through four episodes. Um, There are a lot of others, but that's kind of what we talk about generally, that crossover series. 
Okay. You're going to make me think, though, aren't you? A You're going to make me think about my... We only had 15 minutes, so I can't make you think too much. <laughs> okay, <right. laughs> uh, I'm a huge fan of this series, one, two, and awesome. three. And I'm new to the comic book area. Okay. So for people that are just regular you know, PC gamers or console gamers, yeah. um, what would you recommend about the series, obviously starting with the first couple books, that would sort of get them to make that crossover? Well, you know, I think the thing that the thing that is the natural crossover, and the thing that people are often drawn to the Magic of the Universe about are the characters, right? You know, they say, yeah, you've got a great story, but without the characters, what does that story mean, right? And and Dark Horse is very much about the same thing. They want this, their stories to not just be, you know, oh, there's just a bunch of action sequences and then it's done. No, it, it's about the characters, and, and that's the fun thing I was just saying to someone else is that. You know, in in the game, you're playing as Commander Shepard, and everything is Shepard focused. You know, so even when you're talking to Liara, it's Liara in relation to you. In in Redemption, for instance, uh, which is the first uh, series that we did, it's it is Liara, it, and it's her story. It's her, she's protagonist in that, and it's all about her. So if there, if there's characters in there that you think you might be interested in, you know, evolution, we get to explore a bit of. You know the elusive man's background, right? Um, it lets you just go into the Mass Effect universe from a different angle. You also get to see someone else's interpretation of the art. You know, we have several amazing artists from around the world. Omar Francia is one of the ones he was here signing today. Um, love his interpretation of the Mass Effect universe. It still feels Mass Effect, but it also gets you. You know, we go to worlds that we've never been to in the Mass Effect world, so you get to see places and and delve deeper into some of the characters. So I think to me that's. If I was a fan, and I am a fan, that, that's what, as a writer, that's what drew me to wanting to write for the comics. So you think it retains that intimacy that the game does? Yeah, it does. And I mean, obviously, you know, when you're dealing with a graphic novel, there has to be, you have to be entertained visually as well. So a lot of times they are action-oriented and they, they do move along at a pace. But at the same time, we've always been very story-focused in all of them. It's like we didn't want these to just be, you know, oh, and the art kicks ass for, you know, four pages or something like that, you know? Um, it's about learning a little bit more about the character as well. Do you think that this medium allows you to have any sort of freedoms where you felt restricted maybe in the computer generated where you couldn't go to X planet, you couldn't see the characters do this? Does this free you at all or do you think it's more restricting? No, it's, it is much more free. And uh, you know, again, like uh, there are some times when we just, you know, for whatever restriction, you can't go to every homeworld. Like, I mean, that was the homeworld, the idea of the homeworlds comics we're doing now. We wanted to at least see the homeworlds of different people. So we've actually, other than, um, other than actually, you know, the ending when Earth is kind of being destroyed in Mass Effect 3, um, we don't really get a chance to get a look at what does Earth look like, you know, in in the future. That being destroyed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I mean, that's that was kind of one of the things behind. It was we were also wanting to introduce a new character in James Vega, but we also wanted to show off. Well, here's Earth. Go take a look at what Earth looked like in San Diego, you know, in uh, 21. I can't remember what exactly the date, but it was you know, a little bit before the Mass Effect games. But then we also get a chance to a quick glimpse at Tally's homeworld and uh, or what her life was like, and then also yeah, before everything, uh, as well as uh, you know Liara and um, Garrus as well, sort of thing. So you know, it's kind of fun that you can go to those places that we can't necessarily do in the game. It's just it's too difficult to yeah, it just you know too difficult. Why the choice of femship? I've had some people kind of ask if there's going to be two comics where you might have male ship and femship. Traditionally, even though I, I personally prefer the voice acting for femship, it's not been as popular a choice. Hmm. So, sorry, what was, the, what was the question in that? Sorry. The femship versus male ship. Right. Like as far as the main character in yeah. the comics. You know, why the choice of, of the one you pick? Well, in, in the comics, actually, we don't usually reference 
male chef or femme chef at really? all. Yeah, uh, and actually, that's one of the that's one of the tricks is that you have to because the game is so much about player choice, and, okay. and I mean that starts with character creation, right? When you're choosing, am I going to be male, female, red hair, black, hair, whatever? Um, we never want to, whether it's in the books, whether it's in comics, to invalidate those choices that you've made. So it's really kind of a challenge, and, a, and um, it can be difficult at times to find a, a story space, a narrative space, where we can, you know, be free to tell a story without trampling on the choices that you might have made in the game. So a lot of times I was saying, you know, like we've shown, we've hinted, alluded at Shepard in the comics every once in a while, and it's always shadowy. You never actually see a face. You never actually know if it's male or female. The idea is it's just, nope. It's just Shepard, Commander Shepard. You know, it could be your Commander Shepard. Oh, I like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. It's a challenge, but it, I think it, it also keeps people feeling like, oh yeah, thanks for not invalidating my Shepard. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I know in the first of four you have Liara where you go on a mission with her. And kind of the Deadly Dozen sort of appear and the rest of the, as they progress, they're different um, books and things yeah, like yeah. that. Do, is there any romances and how does that, their interactions... Yeah, we, we, we try to hint at um, definitely other relationships between the characters. Like in Redemption, we had Farron, which is the, the trail we introduced, and there was definitely sort of a rapport that her, that he and Liara sort of developed. And actually, um, you know, the fun thing with that was that you know that you have this this, this sort of a spy who's working with Liara and helping her, and we we wonder and the shadow broker. yeah, and the shadow broker, and then. You know, and then you get to go and do Lair of the Shadow Broker DLC, where you go rescue Farron. So we kind of tie it all in, and you get to see a little bit about that, right? So, and that's one of the fun things that we try to do with the comics again as well, is that, you know, with the upcoming, we've just announced the Omega DLC, it's going to tie very heavily into the Evasion series with with Arya Talok and what happened to her getting, you know, ousted from Omega. Okay, right? so you're all so, working very closely. Yeah, so it's not always about uh, romance, because that's hard too, because you know, if I were to say, here's a comic where Liara has a romance, and you'd no, be like, we did, second, Liara. I'm with Liara. <laughs> what? Right. You can't do that, you know? Uh, you never told me you were that guy. <laughs> you know, and so you have to, again, be careful of this. But it is interesting to, in, to, to introduce other relationships that they've had, so that we get a sense that, yeah, they're living their lives when, you know, Commander Shepard's off doing whatever Commander Shepard does. Right? Okay, let's see. Um, you said that Arya and the Elusive Man are some of your favorite characters yes. ever. Um, so, what do you think about the ending and what happened to them as far as their characters, uh, their kind of conclusion? Right. Uh, that's a good question. You know, I think um, you know, the Elusive Man, I wanted to be kind of gray right to the end in the sense that no matter how far down the path he went, you know, seemingly towards evil, there was a side of him that you could still go, well, maybe he just, it's not his fault. Maybe he just, he was trying to do the right thing, he was just doing it the wrong way. Um, and so for me, because I think, you know, there are ways that you can sort of redeem him or at least have him yeah. kind of come around and, and, yeah, and realize it sort of thing. So I had a lot of fun with that. And I think, um, you know, we kind of intentionally left Arya's sort of conclusion um, out of the original ME3, so we, we already knew with the comic series that we wanted to do a DLC featuring her at some point. We didn't know how or when or what that would look like, but okay. we wanted to. So, but we didn't want to, you know, you know, handcuff ourselves by saying, and this is exactly what happens to Arya, because then how do you deal with that? It could interfere with how you deal with it in future DLC. So, stay tuned for Omega to get more of Arya. There you okay. go. Yeah. Um, from a fan on Facebook, what inspired you to make Garrus the awesomest character of all time? <laughs> 
You know, it's funny. I was just we were just doing a signing, and I have uh, I, I wrote James, and I've I've written uh, uh, in Mass Effect three, and then you know in Mass Effect one, I was responsible for Garrus. We had uh, just the James and the Garrus uh, homeworld editions okay. for people to sign. Everyone picks Garrus, but I mean, it's not really a fair shake for, for James because he's new. You know, if he had three games, I think people would. I like James. Yeah. He didn't have enough time for character development, but well, I found go. him funny. He was yeah. a comic relief. He was a comic relief, and actually, when I wrote him, we're digressing from Garrus, but when I wrote him, I intentionally wrote him to not have as much uh, sort of depth and background to him because we had so many existing characters. Yes. I, having another character who we could learn all, it just felt like it would be too much. It's like, can we just have a character who's just kind of light and a bit, a bit more two-dimensional? You know. I was disappointed there was no relationship option. Yeah. Well, <laughs> stay tuned. Who knows? Oh, okay. there's, there's future DLC. Who knows what could happen? But um, getting back to Garrus, you know, I think Garrus for me was um, again, you know, an interesting thing about Garrus is that he's great, and I think that's what I when I say I like Arya and I like Eulis Mans because they're great, morally great. Yeah. And when you meet when you meet Garrus, the beauty of him is not he's 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 kind of in this sort of sea of not knowing what to do, and you actually get to decide. How am I going to push Garrus? Am I going to make him more renegade, or am I going to make him more paragon? And he almost, in some ways, embodied the paragon renegade sort of choice in in, in ME one, and a, a lot it sort of pointed you as like, oh yeah, that's how things could change. And so for that, it was just a lot of fun just to write this character who was kind of a wash. And what do I do? I don't know what I want to do with my life, and then let you decide. So, and I think that's why a lot of people sort of um, have been drawn to Garrus because one, they could picture themselves being, I don't know what to decide, but also they were a part of deciding for him, helping him decide. So it's unusual for someone who looks so very alien to be so, you know, beloved by people. Yeah. Because he doesn't have oh, quite a humanoid appearance. Emmy too, it's like everyone demanding, where's my where's my Garrus romance, right? There's a little bit of Garrus romance in there, and now it's full on in Emmy 3 right? So, yep. Last question. Yeah. Um, are you surprised by how iconic some of these lines are? I mean, calibrating my gun. Everybody knows all of the writing in this, and it's sort of become its own kind of entity. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm surprised in the in the sense that you know something we created has become this popular. I, I, I I'm I'm a bit baffled by that. You know, even when I'm here and I see all the fans, um, you know, and they're cutting off the line, I'm just like, wow, that's just like I, I don't even know how to process it. Um, you know, I'm just a guy from Canada. So, uh, but um, you know, now that I've seen it and I see how popular it is, like when I see the way the fans talk about it, that then I'm not surprised because obviously there's something there they connect with. And whenever you have something in pop culture like that, where where people just are drawn to it, then yeah, they're gonna memorize it. They're gonna dress up like the characters. They're gonna yeah. So it's great to see it. But uh, yeah. Next, I had an interview with Legacy for Truth. You might remember them because they have very aggressive campaigns against smoking for youth. Uh, you would see probably advertisements where they use, uh, they'd go to tobacco industries and surround them with body bags of living young people um, just to represent the number of people killed uh, through tobacco use. Um, you would recognize the logo if you saw it as well. It's sort of an 8-bit, the word truth. And they had a nice uh, booth at New York Comic Con and were trying to reach uh, some of the gamers there and comic aficionados there uh, to keep them from trying cigarettes and tobacco-related products. And one of the things they're focusing on recently is the fact that there is flavoring available in tobacco products and this helps it to be more appealing perhaps to today's youth. And 
when they were there, they had a famous artist who was airbrushing a huge latex mask onto one of their employees. And he kind of just, he was, he was, he had a shirt off and you could see like the top of his chest to the top of his head was a giant strawberry monster representing their flavor monsters, which are supposed to be a part of the campaign to make people aware of these flavorings. And it was a very scary looking strawberry. I have a picture taken with it, which you can find on the gray area. You can find on my Genesee uh, Facebook page as well. I had a chance to interview Patricia McLaughlin, who is the assistant vice president for communications there. And I also had a chance to speak with Paul Lamiero, who uh, works for the company and does a lot of the traveling campaigns where he goes around to different areas to speak to people. And he was kind enough to show me the new game that they have developed for the iOS and Android and uh, let me know some of that. You probably will not hear him on this podcast because he did that afterwards, but he was very kind to show me around, and you will hear now from Patricia. So the Truth Campaign is the nation's largest youth smoking prevention campaign. We've been around since the year 2000. When we started, we were known for these large-scale advertising campaigns. A lot of people recognized really iconic hard-hitting ads, you know, where we dumped body bags in front of a tobacco industry headquarters for instance. Um, but the campaign evolves as teens and young people have evolved. The target range is 12 to 24, and what we're trying to do is keep young people from smoking ever in the first place. So our approach has changed as teens' tastes and interests have changed. Um, you know, the last half dozen years we've done a lot more in online and digital media because that's where they go, that's where they communicate with their friends, that's where they get information. We've always done touring as a real key component of our campaign, and by that we send a truth truck across the country every summer. They meet up with teens at music and sporting events, and they talk to them about tobacco use, but in a very fun, subtle way. We usually have a DJ, we have dancing, we have contests, we give away free gear, and all of them have a tobacco-related fact. Okay. Um, so it's a way to spread Just the awareness. message. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully it starts a conversation around tobacco use. So we're pretty new to the gaming space, even though we've been offering online games at our website for a number of years now. Tell me about the online games. What sort of uh, can, sure? What is the purpose of them as far as the storyline or things that? Well, they vary. We've had various online games. Um, you know, close to a dozen, I'd say, over the years. But they somehow always integrate or weave a tobacco-related fact. Okay. But the purpose is to get teens entertained. You know, engage them that way and then put the education in there. So we're not, the truth approach has always been, we're not hitting people behind, between the eyes. We're trying to connect with them in a real way and then get that tobacco messaging. Okay. Research shows that, you know, you tell a teenager or a young person not to do something, they're going to go do it. So we try to do it in a subtle, subtle fun, way. integrated way. Understood. But the game today that this whole installation is about, launched at the end of August, it's a mobile game. It's available for free on iOS and Android. The second levels, two through six, um, launched at the end of September. But this whole installation is built around it. And basically, the key fact that is in the game and in all these components is that the tobacco industry since 2009 has not been allowed to put flavorings into cigarettes. But yet they continue to put flavorings in 45 tobacco-related products, whether this be smokeless or orbs, snooze, things like that. Okay. So we kind of illuminate and bring that fact to life. And the purpose of the game is flavor monsters, defeat the flavorings. So that's the whole premise that ties back to the tobacco-related fact. So it's not just cigarettes, because that's what everyone assumes when you say tobacco, everyone assumes you're talking about cigarettes, but it's more... Yeah, there's a whole host of products that connect with young people, or, you know, and try to... Is flavoring more addictive in some way? Why is flavoring the thing that's well, the I target? Well, it heightens the appeal of the products. 
you know, um, you put flavoring, sweet flavors like strawberry and honey and all that kind of thing, it tastes better, you know, so it's kind of do the math kind of thing. Okay. Um, so anyway, um, you know, this whole, when we built the game, we didn't just want to build a game, we wanted to build a whole experience and then drive people to the game. Mm -hmm. So when people enter the installation, they can learn a little bit about tobacco flavorings. Mm -hmm. They can come over and play the game on a demo iPad. They can take their picture with a honey flavor monster or a strawberry flavor monster. How is that what he's painting? That's a different thing. Okay. Um, the Monster Hunt Simulator is a visual game where they can come in and they're instructed to do things against the black screen and then later it's married with video and you actually appear like you're in a okay. monster hunt and the flavor monsters are chasing you. So it's really fun and interactive. After that, on the way out, people get a t-shirt and that's where the big reveal is in terms of here's the tobacco related fact. The t-shirt that I'm wearing, if I flip it up, it has a monster underneath, but in the neck, it has the tobacco-related fact, and it has a QR code where people can go and download the game. Oh, that's innovative. Yes. So also happening today, which we're very excited about, is sci-fi contestant on the show Face Off, Rod Maxwell. Okay. He was in season three. Um, he is taking one of our tour riders and transforming him into a strawberry flavor monster. Wow. And he did this previously for sci-fi in September, where the, it aired a custom vignette that we produced with the sci-fi channel where he transformed Eddie then in Los Angeles. And now he's come to New York Comic Con especially to recreate this feat and to entertain people. Is this the same person he transformed before? Is it a different person? Same person. Same person. Yes. Is he an employee? He's a veteran, so okay. <laughs> he's, it's like, it's not everyone that wants to put a whole heavy yes. latex mask on their face with all that stuff. Yeah, I'm sure it takes some time to exactly. paint as well. He looks great. Okay. Anything else you'd like to share? Uh, Sort of a lot of the people that I have that listen to the show are within their age range. You're talking about they're gamers, and I know some of them right now have tried to quit, and they have withdrawal symptoms and things like that. And when I go to the website, it seems like you have a, a more of a community kind of programs for that. Do you have anything specific that you would say we to do. those who already are smoking? Yeah, I mean the Truth Campaign is all about prevention. You know, 80% of adult smokers start smoking before the age of 18, so we want to capture them they make that fateful decision that could lead to a lifetime of addiction, potential disease. But we do have other cessation programs that our parent foundation, parent organization runs. We're all under the umbrella of an organization called Legacy. Okay. It was created out of the Tobacco Settlement Agreement in the late 1990s, and it, we're the largest nonprofit devoted to this issue working in the space, um, exclusively around tobacco. But we do have another program called X that people can go to, www.becomeanx.org. Okay. But in terms of like really quick cessation tips for people who are struggling with addiction, there's a few things you can do. You should consider using some kind of NRT, whether that's the patch or the gum. If you read the instructions and treat it the way it's supposed to, these have been proven to be safe and effective. Uh, you should always try to get social support. By that, you know, you can go to a quit smoking class, you can call a 1-800-QUIT-NOW number or something like that, where people will help you identify your triggers and the behavioral patterns that um, you struggle with when you smoke. It's not just a physical addiction, it's a mental illness as well when you know you have certain patterns and triggers that I set see. off your smoking. Um, the other thing that I think is really important is a lot of people think, oh, it's a, you know, there's a magic bullet or I'll just decide, all right, it's Monday, I'm gonna quit on Tuesday, when really it's a difficult addiction to beat and to create some kind of plan where you get all these tools in your arsenal, you know, NRT, social support, talk to your doctor, um, all those kind of things, that's going to help you and create a more comprehensive thing. 
quit attempt. And it's important because um, most smokers, it takes eight to 11 times before they quit smoking. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And the more prepared you are and the more tools you have in your arsenal, the more chance you have of success. Okay. You seem really passionate about this. What does this mean to you personally as far as the campaign and, and what inspires you to do this? Oh, sure. Um, well, I've seen too many friends and family addicted or um, who perished from tobacco-related disease. Okay. And then all of us who are involved in this work, you know, especially like our folks who travel across the country and talk to thousands of teens each summer, it's like you really ignites a passion. You know, everybody, unfortunately, I think there's the belief out there that, oh, you know, tobacco's a dead issue, you know smoking is bad for you and all this. Right. But smoking continues to kill more than 400,000 Americans each year who die from tobacco-related disease. So if you talk to anybody and you tell, I tell them what, the, what I do, they inevitably tell me some kind of personal story that they have too. And I have those personal stories, you know. I've lost an aunt and two uncles to this. And so, um, you know, it's something that binds us all, and it still continues to take a huge impact on our economies, on our society. It costs the country a lot in terms of healthcare, medical-related costs, and there's just the social cost that goes with it. I think the kind of the stigma of smoking has increased a lot because I don't notice that people kind of have that as a cool factor that it used to be maybe right. you know 10, 15 years ago. I'm right. sure a large part of that is through you. Right. Um, why do you think people even begin at this point, considering that it's kind of frowned upon? Well, you know, the tobacco industry continues to spend more than $23 million a day in the U.S. alone on marketing efforts. Um, you know, and teenagers are, and young people, they're rebellious. It's a time when they're, you know, seeking out their own kind of independence, trying to put their, assert their own unique person and who, who they are. Um, and they're always into rebellion. And smoking <laughs> still is seen as a rebellious form of behavior. So, okay. you know, you can educate one generation, but then the next generation comes along. And they do share these commonalities where, you know, they're asserting their independence, independence, they're rebellious. So a lot of people see it as that. A lot of people also see it as something that, you know, it's not as serious addiction as they think it is. That, oh, you know what, I'll just dabble with this for a few years. And unfortunately, for a lot of people, what they can think is going to be a social habit can turn into a lifetime of addiction. Yeah, anything else you want to share before uh, I close? I think that's pretty much all the questions I had. Well, I mean, if people want to learn more about the Truth Campaign, go to www.thetruth.com. Okay. And, you know, you can find information and facts there about the tobacco industry. There's a lot of cool things that teenagers and young people can do. There's games, there's downloadables, there's facts and information. There's a lot of video on there. Uh, so it's a way to entertain but also to educate. And what's the name of the game, and is it iOS as well as Android? It is, and it's called Flavor Monsters. And that concludes my coverage of New York Comic Con. Three days of amazing times getting to meet my friends, a lot of whom I knew online and hadn't had a chance to really meet in person, and uh, <laughs> brave the chaos of New York Comic Con. And so hopefully next year I'll be able to go again, and I thank those of you who I ran into there, and hope you had a good time as well listening to the interviews. And uh, and as usual, the Gray Area Podcast is entirely funded by listener donations. So if you would like to contribute to the show, the basic upkeep of it, and the website and things like that, you can go to Genesee.com, where there are a whole bunch of buttons on the right-hand side of the show, and you can choose to contribute whatever denomination you feel is worth it for your entertainment for the week.
If you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast. You can find some of the pictures that I took at New York Comic Con on Gray Area Podcast. And you can go to Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast. I would also appreciate it if you would visit iTunes and if you enjoy the show to give it a star or just write a short sentence review if you don't want to take a whole lot of time. Uh, If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to geneseegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode. This podcast is a part of the Signals Media All-Star Network. For more information on this and other fine shows, go to signalsmedia.com. It's okay to stick our stuff in your ears. Really?